Hey, I'm Ginger. And I'm Don Zell. And you're listening to Misplaced Life. We'll be exploring the many ways in which our lives often feel misplaced. From emotions to experiences, from relationships to situationships, careers, ideologies, philosophies. You name it, we'll talk about it. Because you may often feel like you're in the wrong place. But you're always living the right life. Hey, Donzel. Hey, Ginger. What's up? How are you? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm good. I'm great. Good. Good, good, good. I'm really great today. You know why? Why? We have a special guest. Woo! Yay! Party time. Party time. Anyway, so as you know, and many people know, I worked in the music business for a really long time for most of my career. And when I was at Interscope Records, I first worked for Jimmy Iovine. Um, If you don't know who he is, you can look him up. Most of my time, I worked for his sort of right-hand guy, a guy named Steve Berman, otherwise known to the rest of the world as simply Berman. (laughs) But... He is, without a doubt, one of the best marketing, branding, strategy geniuses in the music business. I learned so, so much from him. And God, it's been 20 years. That's crazy. 20 years, dude. 20 years. Anyway, sidebar. But an amazing benefit of that is I got to meet his wonderful wife, a lovely lady named Frances Berman. And we've known each other for a very long time. She's been a part of my past. She's now part of my present and will definitely be a part of my future. And we always kind of stayed in touch on socials. And I saw something interesting about what she was doing. And so we connected. I heard a little bit about her journey and a little bit about her sort of new ventures and new passions in life, which I will let her tell us about in more detail. But I would love to introduce my lovely friend, Frances Berman. Hi. Hey, (laughs) thank you for joining us. Oh my goodness. Thank you for asking me to join you. This is, you know, it's actually an honor. (laughs) Gosh, the honor is ours. We're so excited. Like I said, I am such a fan and advocate of women and especially women who kind of, you know, sort of nearing that middle age part of their life, making changes, really learning about themselves and having more self-awareness when they have the time and having the courage to do something different or change your past, you know, create a better future for yourself and therefore, you know, your family and your friends. And I'm really inspired by what you're doing. And I think it's so relevant right now. Tell us about those new passions. Tell us about, you know, OneVoteCloser.org, which is so amazing. Well, first, I want to say when you say about Steve and what he's known to the rest of the world, I think you're right. It is Berman, but also Gangsta Steve. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. I was telling Donzel, because I I was telling Donzel, I go, well, here's the thing. I'm like, you know, I know him as, you know, a friend and a, a colleague and a boss and a mentor. And I'm like, but you know, the guy in all the videos with Eminem and, you know, the music executive, the creator, I go, that's Berman. He goes, what? <laughs> Instantly. <laughs> you know, it's it's funny. It's not funny, but when you say, I know for both of us, but I, I can speak for him on this. When you say friend, mentor, colleague, you know, I, I feel like after the relationship in work that you two had, that 
you're with us now and with him as a friend and someone with a lot of memories, you know, like that you just like all the work memories, all the, (laughs) you know, the trials, the tribulations. Yeah, the good ones and the bad ones. (laughs) You know, it's like, that's, that's where we're at now, you know? Yeah. And I have to, thank you. And I, he, you know, he and you are, are, always will have a special place in my heart. And I, I, one thing I should have said, which is more so than being, you know, an amazing marketing and and strategy, branding genius in the business. There's a lot of shitty people in the music business. There's a lot of shitty people in the world, but in terms of my career, especially as a woman, but Steve was also an amazing person. You know, he was the good guy. He always had your back. And I watched him, you know, even as a husband on the other side of it, struggling to get out of that you know, get out of that office when, you know, everything, you know, that feels like the world is crumbling down. He's like, I got to go. Like, you know, always putting his family first. And (laughs) I know sometimes it doesn't always feel that way on the other side of it, but I admire him so much as a person, not just as an executive, but anyway, we love you, Berman. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, we do. I'll look forward to you meeting him one day. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. But we all yeah. do love him because of his influence over music. So those yeah. of us who love music yeah. and love the various artists that he's worked with, we love him too. <laughs> exactly. You know what? That's going to be a really good segue if I may use a story about what you just said, Donzel, about Stephen bringing music and and the creativity of his music um, or the music that he brings and where I'm at today. So Stephen, when we first met 33 years ago, he'd just come out of the mailroom and I'd just moved to LA from Texas, got my music degree, only ever been really around musicians or just creative endeavors in whatever capacity through my life. And especially in the years at, at UT Austin. But so I meet Steven and he's working in, he gets a real gig as a, a protege to the head of marketing services at this corporation that I ended up working at. It was called uh, Warner Electric Atlantic. And it was back in the days when CDs, ex- well, tapes, albums still existed. Back in, in a, the dinosaur in, in years. The, <laughs> yeah, in the only way, in the only way that music was absorbed. I mean, there was no digital, but anyway. So it was a, a true uh, marketing and distribution corporation. And anyway, so Stephen's learning and he always wanted to be an A&R guy. He always wanted to be the guy that found music in the nightclub. And, I, and I, one day I just said, Stephen, I said, what you do is creative. You put together all these presentations. That's what he did in the beginning. He put together these presentations to show all the labels about the music that was coming out. And it was supposed to be for inspiration. Yeah. Well, that's the one thing. He has such charisma. I don't, I don't believe, I, I don't doubt that for a minute. Yeah. So, so how I, you know, I, you know, segue that into what I'm doing today in terms of building the website that I have one vote closer. Where that started was after the the last election, the 2016 election, and just <sighs> not really liking how people didn't vote for a couple of reasons. One of the reasons was if they were a Democrat, they thought that, oh, 
she's got it in the bag. Yeah. I don't need to vote. And then if they were Republican, in my estimation, they were a lot in the Midwest and in certain states where Republicans were going to vote Republican. And they were also in states where even though there were fewer people per se, there was more electoral votes if that state went one way, which is what happened. Mm -hmm. And so that's the way our system works. And so that was the outcome. And when I looked at the map of the United States, I was like, I just couldn't even believe how many people didn't vote. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. For either, you know, for really, for either candidate, if you add up the numbers and you know how many eligible voters there are, it's like that, that the math, you know, okay. So then. Do you remember what the percentage was? Do you remember? No. Yeah. I remember it being like abysmal though, just. Horrible. It was the lowest. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, but it was it was the lowest in a couple of decades at yeah. least. I, I I can't remember okay. off the top of my head. Yeah. I so I know Donzel. We'll know by the end of the call. <laughs> yeah. No, I was going to say if I wasn't talking, I'd already be on. Yeah. No, he's checking it out right now. And I actually have it right in front of me. But anyway, <laughs> Stephen and I, we've always I don't know what it is. You know, we always wanted to vote. It was one of our things. Growing up, if you will, from the time we were 23, we just voted in the elections, whatever it was. And, you know, it was also a time when you know, we were you were definitely just pushing cards and it was definitely just the cardboard booths. So we'd always make sure we could get right by a booth because we totally talk back and forth. <laughs> now, are we voting for this? Are you voting for that? What was that one about? And so... We weren't supposed to do that, but of course we did. So I just, I couldn't believe on on that level that, you know, what, all of a sudden I was just like, I don't understand. I thought, I thought people voted. Okay. And then coming from the, the kind of family I come from, we have everything from the oldest sister helped start the tea party. The next brother is a Democrat. The next sister, staunch Democrat. The next one, Republican. The next one, registered Republican, generally votes Democrat. Then Democrats all the way down. I'm from nine siblings, by the way. Wow, I was going to say, how many are there? Yeah. Hello? <laughs> wow, that's crazy. Um, yeah. So, you know, and, and being from Texas and whatever. So so growing up in that way, you know, we, it's not like we sat around and we talked politics like, you know, some you know, political dynasty or something, right. but, but we all just, we were aware of current events and, and et cetera. And my parents were, my parents were registered Republicans. And when my dad passed 12 years ago, my mom voted Democrat. Yeah, and mom. then, yeah. And <laughs> then I felt like, you know, in a Pollyanna kind of way, I felt like if every single person voted, we wouldn't be having this Russia crap. We wouldn't be having, you know, what all this in, oh, investigation and, yeah. you know, but then, you know, some people do lie and cheat, but it's like, you know, I can digress right now and go into the bad cops, good cops, right? you know, the for there's not that many people that, that cheat that bad. Not that there's not that many bad cops, actually, that was probably a bad correlation, but. No, but I, I know uh, what you're saying. It's, it's. Yeah. You know. And, and I just decided, you know what? I want to do something. So all of that happened. And then people didn't like the candidates. I, I didn't like either candidate, so I'm not voting. We know people that are doing that right now. 
right. that say they don't like either candidate, they're not voting. I'm Which like, is you so gotta scary be kidding right me. now. Yeah. Yeah. So I built this thing because I'm like, there are so many issues, people. At least pretend like the shoes you're wearing, the floor you walk on, the air you breathe, the door handle you open to walk out the door, you know, your car you drive. Every single element in our life is an issue. Mm-hmm. It's an issue that we vote for in, in order to live in our country. We really do. That bed you sleep in, the sheets, the clock, the lights. Think about what turns on the lights, the electricity. And there's people that either connect the electricity in your room. That's a job. The people, the electrical man out on the pole, the people at the switching station. And and all this stuff has to be built. And I mean, I'm not kidding. People don't get how every little thing, I know they don't get because they make a statement like that. I don't like either person. Yeah. Well, Pia, I feel like, you know, to your point a minute ago, I feel like people got very just disconnected from politics in general. They got, and when they, when you get disconnected from the process, you get disconnected from the issues. And, mm-hmm. and it, it, like you said, it's so not about one person versus the other. And it's not really even about a party anymore at this point. And I think the, the best thing that anybody can do and why I'm, you know, I love what you're doing is, which is, I'm sure is probably, we can talk about that in a minute, you know, sometimes a little bit hard in the sense of keeping it neutral, keeping it nonpartisan, just mm-hmm. to inform, but coming from that place of just wanting to encourage and motivate people to, to care enough to learn and to realize and acknowledge, like you said, how much of everything that we do in our everyday life is affected by all of those issues. And that's really what politics is supposed to be about. It's Mm -hmm. just become so much about everything else but that. So yeah, I know that Don Zell's over here shaking his head. What were you going to (laughs) say? No, no, I'm I'm shaking my head in agreement to all of this. I also looked up the numbers, which I'm not good at doing, so I don't know why I asked to do numbers because... You shouldn't trust me with any numbers. He's not a research analyst. Yeah, I don't know why I volunteered. I was like, oh, I'll look it up. And then see like articles from 2016 with numbers, 2018, number uh, revisions. In your defense, you did say you'd have it at the end of the show. That's true. That's true. That's very true. You got got at least 40 minutes. Let me text some friends who do like to do numbers. (laughs) But I did see that said something about 58% of eligible voters did show up to vote. So that means whatever is the remainder of that from 100 is what is... He's not a math genius either. Didn't show up. So 42% (laughs) didn't show up. But I love the idea of, or I love what's happening with the website with how you're making it a larger, helping people see the larger picture because I've noticed in my day-to-day conversations the same thing in regards to... People just don't understand how intricate our election system is. Mm-hmm. People mm-hmm. still see only three elections, the president, the Senate, and the House. Right. And they mm-hmm. don't get that in between those three massive factors of, of government, there's so many propositions there's local elections, there's, you know, sheriff elections, so there's many layers. so many different layers, your DA elections, there's so much that's happening. And we boil it down to the face of the ticket. And like you said, mm-hmm. we don't, I don't like that person who's running for president, but we forget that they're the face of the ticket. 
and that there's so much else going on. I'm at a point where I'm trying to figure out how do I help people understand how intricate and masterfully woven our election system is? Because I feel like once you get that, you start to vote more and you vote with more purpose. Yeah, and you get informed. And you get informed. But I don't know how to get people to see it because they're still doing, like you said, well, I don't like this one or this is the lesser of two evils. Or it's like, oh my gosh, can why don't we just set those two aside? Don't even talk about them. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about some of these issues on the ballot. Yeah. Well, if I may please, even please. answer that. So one of the things, so when we went to build it, um, it was my assistant who she's been with me six years and she, you know, really, really smart girl, Maddie Kennel. Last year, she just finished her first year of her master's program in clinical psychology. And, uh, you know, this is her job. This girl did all the legwork. I just say all the legwork because she gets to come in and sit at the desk while I'm, meanwhile, you know, running around, running a house and a a life and kids and, you know, a whacked out husband. And (laughs) and exactly, we said it at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) Vermin, you know. Anyway, that's a so, powerful um, word there, but yes, <laughs> yeah, we're we're simpatico here. So anyway, <laughs> she she does all this legwork, and so I said, Maddie, go and you know what, find two issues from every state that are the biggest issues. I, I said, okay, I go away, I come back, and she comes back, and what she has, the long story short, what it originally boiled down to was 179 issues. I'm like, well, we can't. Go and help people with 179 (laughs) issues. I said, so we need to boil this down. So the long story, we did some surveys, you know, I send them out to some friends and family and blah, blah, here, answer these, you know, and all it was, was what's the first word that comes to your mind when you hear addiction? And then the person would have to write a word next to it. Anyway, with 179, that was definitely not going anywhere. We boiled it down. I said, you know what we need to do is look at all the issues that are local state and federal, that they cross all three borders, if you will. Mm -hmm. And so we came up with 90 and each issue that you see on the site is a local, is a state and is a federal issue. And when you say, Donzel, how do you, uh, you know, get to people? This is how I talked to people over the last three years in knowing what was really going to matter and in tweaking the site or knowing how to speak about it is let's say I'm I'm in a in an Uber in New York City and so I say hey you, do you ever talk about politics well you know let's say and this was always the best if a person said well I'm for Trump you know and I'd be like like everybody thinks a that's a bad thing or b I must look like a democrat <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I got a big D stamped on my forehead. But anyway, I said, I would always say, you know, great. You know, what, what is it that you, you like about? So they'd always say the economy. So let's just talk about that one. Because that ended up being actually something that Stephen and I would talk about between us, which was, He'd say, well, the economy, well, you can't, you know, argue that, you know, blah, blah, whatever he would say, because I knew my argument and my argument was correct. And I'm not being pompous because they use it now. They use it today. And it's not just because of COVID. And it is part of the argument today, which is, I I would say to Stephen, 
what's, you no, know, Stephen, we put 500 people in the room and we asked them, what's your economy? I'm like, the economy that we're all looking at is the 401ks are the people that can save money. That's the bigger, you know, these corporations. What about all the essential workers? What about, so it went on like that. You know, who has benefits? Who's paid hourly? Who's paid by the salary? You know, and the 401k, which is what goes into making those numbers that we look at and the investors, that's what goes into those numbers that we look at. And so these people, that when the COVID hit and here we come in a quarantine and their life falls apart after one week, one month, two months. Why is that? Because they don't have any wealth. They yeah. don't have any yeah. savings. Yeah. It's they all, don't it's, have any. Yeah. So it's, it's not that it's malarkey, but who's it work for? It's, yeah, it it's, a, it's like it's spin though, right? It's the same. It's just, like you said, when people talk about the economy, it's very generalized. And what they don't understand is... That's a very, very small portion of society in terms of when they say the economy is really great. You know, they're talking about that, like, you know, like you said, the upper, the, the upper echelon of society. Mm-hmm. They're talking about the investment firms, Wall Street, and, and what looks good, you know, on like an international global level. They're not talking about, like you said, you know, the, the guy who works paycheck to paycheck. And that is something that COVID completely exposed because if we uh-huh. were in such a strong economy, if our country was so strong financially, economically, why did it only take a couple of months for just people's lives to be absolutely completely destroyed? Yes. And when, I don't know if you heard the statistics, I heard it yesterday, just about how much money the top 100 richest people in America have made 30 billion dollars over the last, I don't even know how many months or something like that. And, you know, the, and the, the flip side of that is, and we don't even have a government in place who will provide additional assistance to all of those people that you were just talking about. You know, they ended the $600 stimulus checks in what, July? It's October. And here we are. And they're just sitting there back and forth fighting like it's, you know, a football game about whether or not they're going to even do anything between now and God knows when. And like you said, there's no economy for these people. These people are literally trying to like have a place to sleep and have food to feed their children or themselves. And that's just tragic. That's my next thing (laughs) that I'll tell you in a minute. Yeah, Um, please. I I would like to say one other thing to speaking to Donzel's, you know, how to talk to your friends. The, The point of, I think was, if you just ask them what even is of interest to them, mm-hmm. what is, you know, for example, a lot of people, education, that's a big, and that's my thing. Yeah. And so I really learned, and it's one of my, one of the videos I made for the site that I'm most proud of. And all of the videos on there are, are a minute or less. They have to be. And it's the way we built it. Yeah. But my Video on education is that it really exemplifies our caste system. And (laughs) what that means is why we have schools that aren't as good as, say, schools in the upper income neighborhoods is because the taxes that are paid for property in 
the areas where the schools aren't as good because they can't afford to bring in teachers because they would have to drive across into these neighborhoods. Or if you even think about it, where do people want to gravitate? They want to drive across town to get this job over here. And there's only so many jobs. You know, it's just this whole system about our property taxes. And so what brings businesses to those neighborhoods and everything is just kept down, 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 you know, lower income, lesser facilities, higher income, higher facilities, higher everything. And it's just, it's just feeds into what it's, I call it a caste system that's called capitalism. And it's just not. Right. It, it it is a it's a caste system or no capitalism that's called a caste. I don't I can't remember. Listen to the video. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it, you mean it is. Yeah, it, it's totally yeah. I mean, you know, and I I, mm-hmm. I think I told you this, but you know, Donzel is an artist and an actor, but he also is an educator because he teaches uh, theater for PS Arts, which is a nonprofit that brings theater, music, and dance. Right, Donzel? Yes. To all the public schools. Mm-hmm. nationally. And he taught my kids because they went to their local public school. To to your point about, you know, the district, LAUSD, as big as it is, very, well, they say that they were broke at some point, but they literally cut, had, <laughs> Donzel's rolling his eyes right now. But anyway, they certainly didn't put their resources in the right places if they had those resources, but they took away art and PE and all of these other things that, you know, and we can talk about that aspect of education in a minute because I know that's something that we wanted to touch on, not just the financial piece, but they took away all of those other things that not only give kids a variety of experiences as they're developing both socially, emotionally, and academically, but it also gives such an enrichment to their educational process, you know, process. And they took that away. And all they were left with was just sort of the, tradi- the traditional academics and math and reading and whatever, which of course is important. But I love that there are organizations out there that are raising money and raising funds to bring those things into the schools. But that's just such a small piece of what you're talking about and just the overall availability of good resources, good schools and whatever. But Donzel hears you loud and clear. I think. <laughs> Here's another one you'll, you'll get me started on is that exactly what you just said at the end, those fundraisers that uh, so you know yeah you get donations but who's making those donations oh the wealthy people so that that's the first thing and then the second thing is why isn't that just a part of the curriculum mm-hmm. okay yeah, yeah. well we have technology we have this well they already took away handwriting yep you know and and but it's just or if it's not going to be a part of the curriculum make it accessible Make it affordable because, uh, you know, let's say they do have something where an underserved, underprivileged child, teenager, you know, can go to. How are they going to get there? You know, Mm -hmm. where is it located? Who can stay? Who can take them home? Who's going to give them the snack? Because a lot of times these, the, I don't know, PSR, I know of PSRs. I don't know if you guys provided snacks. I don't know, you know, food and mm-hmm. all this stuff. Yeah, no. they just basically you know? go out into the schools. Yeah. And that's the challenge with arts and American culture in general is that it, it's become an expression for privileged, for the privileged. Mm-hmm. It is a privilege to study art here because it has also been restricted in access. 
even to the point of what Francis was saying, with nonprofits who want to tip the scales of that inequity, they're still getting the money from wealthy donors who are choosing which organizations get the money, which therefore are also still choosing which populations get the services. Mm-hmm. It's still, I agree, like it's just that the arts in general is not accessible when arts of all things is one of the things that equalizes all humans because we're all artistic. We all have a creative side in us somehow. And there should be no reason why any human is not allowed to study creative expression. We all should be able to fully study that. Yeah. I'll tell you. So Stephen and I have a lifetime endowment over at the University of Texas at Austin, where I studied Mm -hmm. music. I got my BA and et cetera from the College of Fine Arts. Speaking to what you said, the the donors that we choose where the money goes. So the money goes to the fine arts. Okay, great. So then I get to say, I don't get to choose who, but they said, so which direction would you, you know, like us to like, what kind of student would I said, I'd like you. And now I don't care. (laughs) I'll say this to the world. I said, please choose kids from the Valley, which is the Valley of Texas, which is predominantly Latinos. I am Francis Chavez. That's my maiden name. I'm a Latina. (laughs) So I said, you know, I said, okay, Steve said too. (laughs) (laughs) We'll let him in on it. Yeah, we'll give him a little credit on that one. He's secondary credit though. Yeah, he's secondary. He's over there. He's, He's the man, so he's over there making the living, guys. Yeah, he's bringing, you're, he's bringing home whole... bacon and you're frying it up in the pan, right, Francis? Yeah, yeah I guess. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, yeah, so, he, so we said that because those kids in the Valley are more likely to follow in their parents' footsteps to feed family and not choose to go to school because who can afford to go to school? Because you don't just go to college. You need a place to live. You got to have know? a plan. You got it. Yeah. You got to eat, you you know, and then what if instrument lessons, just saying regular (laughs) expenses. Yeah. Yeah. Job. I don't know. You know, so anyway, so we, we choose it's, it's real. We're not going to get off topic because we'll, I'll never shut up talking about this, Mm. but just the whole educational system, not even speaking to the financial piece of it, just the sort of ingrained trajectory is so academic and so focused on a certain path for our kids that, and I say this from a personal perspective because I do have one of those very, very creative and artistic kids who has, you know, and he he makes good grades. He struggles really hard to stay focused and he gets through all of those subjects. But where are the places for the kids that are artistic and that's sort of where they shine there is no place for those kids, you know, not, and I'm not just talking about just, and I'm talking like even in early childhood and into elementary and into high school, not even at the college level, they're never made to feel valued or successful if they're not academic kids. And we just, as a society have sort of set up this idea of what education is supposed to look like. And Mm -hmm. I think if we took, you know, taking the financial piece out of it, if we sort of overhaul the system a little bit, you're always going to have that disparity and inequity, right? That's mm-hmm. sort of a second issue. But 
to at least allow an even playing field for two very different types of kids. Mm -hmm. And those artistic and creative kids, if they're able to tap into that, by the way, early on, it can actually enhance their academic experience and vice versa. There's so many studies about, you know, like music and math, for example, and how they can sort of correlate with each other. But I just feel like our whole idea of what academic and educational success, like what the goals are in this country. I mean, talk to the millennial generation. Mm. Talk to the kids who, you know, and every generation, I think it, it changes and it evolves. But I don't think that we've quite hit that place where we have the right paths to offer our kids mm. to give them the biggest chance for success when they do grow into adulthood. Not every kid is college material. Not every kid is artistic. But like the the lack of sort of enhanced support and direction and guidance in those earlier times to me is such a, it's so tragic. I uh-huh. think it's because it goes back to what Francis was saying in regards to capitalism being this American caste system. The academics is easier for us to control. It's easier for us to put kids into their boxes and say, now go and fill these jobs and this marketplace, which feeds this system of capitalism. But when you're teaching students the arts, you're actually teaching them to be free thinkers. You can't be an artist and not think differently and not have your own perspective on the world and not have a strong opinion. All those things make the artist the artist. And if the schools really leaned into that, or not the schools, the, the, the administrations and governments really gave access to lean into that, the radicalization, what would happen to the elementary schools or just all schools in education, the radicalization that would happen would topple the system, which I think is what that needs to happen. Needs happen. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, because, you, you know, that's what needs to happen because you, the arts teaches a child to be an investigative reporter, to think uh-huh. about the world, how they see it, what they, they see about and it. And how they see themselves. And how they see themselves right. and where they belong in the world and what they want to change about the world and what they want to enhance in the world. We don't want to do that as a, a collectively, the powers that be don't want to create a bunch of free thinkers. Then we know we wouldn't have issues that we have right now. <laughs> right. You know? Right. No, I, I couldn't agree more. The That's a lot because I, I, I could go, I could go into the direction of when you talk about all these people, when people are working, what do they Mm want to do? You know, yeah, they want to get out and get some air. Yeah. But a lot of, a lot of like, you'll hear about, you know, lawyers or, you know, people use the art as an escape or they go to the arts, Yes, you know, to, and if it's not there, if it's not accessible, what do you, you know, and even to put on different kinds of productions, that costs money. That's why Mm -hmm. you, that's why we see there's so many of the same productions in a loop because it's expensive to make a new set and a new, you know, costumes mm-hmm. and everything, everything that's, that costs money. And yep. And boils back down to that. I'm glad though that we brought up education because I do feel that that is the key to solving a lot of our challenges as a society is focusing more on the access of education, as well as the inclusion of the voices of heroes in education. 
breaking yeah. away from this model that our society looks the way it looks because of a select population that is mostly white male and yeah. understanding that the collectiveness of of our country and the beauty that it is really did happen from many voices it came from many different brilliant minds and all the different industries. And men and women. Men and women, <laughs> all colors, all different sexualities. Like it, That is really what made our country what it really is. But we restrict the visibility of those voices. And I think the more that we start to really evaluate what is the purpose of schools, what is the purpose of education, what are we teaching, who is teaching it, how are they teaching it? That's where we're going to solve a lot of issues. And that's why I talk about about this this caste system. It came up so much because of post uh, George Floyd again, mm-hmm. you know, oh, the yeah. covid, how how it woke up so many people to be aware of you know the economy, but the you know this all of the violence, the police violence that is now uh, come to the forefront and then uh, Black Lives Matter and all these. And I'm one of these people that I'm like, okay, I say I'm not a racist. Okay. You, however, that the community, you know, the black community, African-American, et cetera, people who teach, you know, anti-racism, it made me, all of their words make me want to do a deep dive into my own education. So I was devouring all this information and, you know, what, what we're saying, Gonzalo, what you were just saying and how I say about this caste system and the hierarchy of who gets what. And that really leads into who gets what in their education, but then who gets what kind of job. It leads into, mm-hmm. everything. It leads into everything, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it's such a, a fundamental foundational mm-hmm. issue that affects all the other issues, right? Mm-hmm. You know, economic, yeah. ed- I mean, the job market, everything. As Um, well as the distrust that's been created within the voting system. Right. So many people, they don't trust the voting system because of the lack of education around the voting system and understanding Uh Uh that the objections or the obstacles that happened in 2016 that led to Trump becoming president, those such as gerrymandering and how the Electoral College works and you know, those obstacles that happened, so many people don't understand them. You That's know, so beautiful how you just brought that full circle from <laughs> the very first thing of voting. Look what I you just saying, really you know, good at that. He's a really I'm good a, book in there. <laughs> I'm an educator. <laughs> I know how to go with the flow of a lesson. <laughs> wow. Listen, trust me, because I'd be like rambling, rambling, rambling. And I'd be like, all right, let's just wrap this up. Like, ties in a vote for me. And I'm like, we got to get people to vote. We really I do. Know, I know. Well, that's but, what I mean, kind of back to the voting yeah. thing. But like, Outside of informing and and really, I mean, obviously you were so inspired to, you know, try and be some part of a movement to create more change, more interest, more education in terms of voting. Mm -hmm. What do you see evolving with the website moving forward, you know, throughout the next few years? Do you have other ideas about what you do you want to expand? Do you want to, what are some of your goals for the next few years? Well, thank you for asking. And I have one of my brothers very sensitive to 
just we're tight and he's sensitive to what I'm doing and we share we said we share similar views in in the world around us and he asked me recently he goes so Franny he goes what what comes after this what are you gonna and I I looked at him and that he knew me enough that I will tell you on the very first day that I knew that Liliana my 17 year old was not going to go back to school uh, because the quarantine had begun and we're waiting to see if the public schools, because she goes to a private school, of course. So sorry, That's but okay. I'm not sorry. Sorry, not sorry. No, no, no. I mean, listen, that's, yeah. but you're here. No. We're here having this dialogue. So but yeah, and right. that's, that's also the point, right? what the part it, of the conversation of education needs to happen Absolutely. is. Is that choice yeah. to choose? Is that choice yeah. of private school, public school, charter schools, having those choices are actually a good thing. Yeah. And I don't think it's fair for anyone to throw any judgment on someone who's only in the public system or in the private system or charter system. Like, we have to all look at the reality of the choices that we have and take advantage of those choices. Donzel, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to disagree with you there because I'm going to tell you we should throw stones at people in private and charitable. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We need, we need equal education for all. And yes, so, yes. period, the end. Yes. That's just where I'm at, man. Oh, my we God, just, I love you even more, Fran. Yes. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's why Seriously, I but that takes, That's a brave thing to say, yeah. honestly. Yeah. Oh, no, no. It's just uh, that's what that's my thing, man. I don't say. And again, if you listen to my my education video, I'm not saying free education for all. I'm saying equal, man. Yeah. What the heck is this? Yeah. So. So anyway, so that morning. Oh, Liliana. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. It's okay. That morning, and then I hear, uh, and then I'm like, oh my God, when I, when we're wondering, are the public schools going to close? The first thing I think of, and it, it has a little to do with how I grew up, but I, I thought, what about all the kids that don't feel safe at home? Yeah. Uh, and then yeah. I thought, oh my God, how many kids aren't going to eat? Yeah. And then, and let me tell you where this, all this thought came from. I mean, all this thought, you know, the process was I was sitting up in bed and in my home, looking out at my fabulous view. And I knew this is not right. Mm. How can so many kids be hungry? And I'm looking out at this. This is like, and yeah, was it a guilt trip? Was it a whatever? I don't know. I can sit in the therapist's office. We can talk about it. I think it was an awakening. I mean, I think it's just like everything this year. Black Lives Matter. I mean, there's like a lot of, there's been a lot of awareness within ourselves. I think that's happened over this past year. Uh And I think we've all... Well, so, so that's the next step is I, I've already started looking at it. I got to tell you, it's a nightmare. It's a gigantic, gigantic, you know, we've been hearing about this since we were kids, you know, save the children, you know, around the world. I've heard for my life that there's hungry kids in our backyard. Yep. Why are we going halfway around the world? And so that's now for me, Donzel, that's those people's business. This one, I'm like, I, you know, how can I, pardon the expression when I use the word man, but teach a man to fish. Yeah. You know, you feed him for life to, you know, feed a man a fish, you feed him for a day. You know, it's the other way yeah. around. Yeah. But my thing is, how can I put 
some food in the kids' fridge where they just, it's even frozen and they can pull it out and it thaws in the day or, you know, and it just, even at a young age, then that's already been shot down because one of my brothers said, well, what if the fridge isn't working? Right. Well, <laughs> you know? they have no fridge, you know, and, and also just like the kids that were, the, especially the young kids that were left at home alone. I mean, you know, like, what are they doing? There's mm-hmm. kids who probably should not be left alone that are not only at home with nothing to eat, they're at home alone with nothing to eat because their parents are trying to do whatever they can to scrape a few dollars together to... Their parents are, are more than likely an essential worker. Yep. You know, or, we we forget that there's so many essential workers that are not in the healthcare profession. Right. You know, the grocery stores have been open this entire time. Yeah. And a lot of the employees there, their, their salary that they're making... You know, when we realize what we're fighting for people to even get a comfortable minimum wage in this country. Right. And gas stations were always open. And those gas station attendants are employees that have families. Right. And I'm very curious to see how much of those gas stations are paying those gas station attendees. Oh, please. Exactly. Uh, You know, know. and there's so many. Every time we thought about essential workers, we instantly thought about doctors and nurses. And, you know, we forget that there's a lot of other essential workers that are barely making, breaking even on their paychecks. If that. I mean, they're just struggling. And they decided in July to end everything. And they're, like, again, Mm. playing politics with people's lives right now and this stimulus conversation. Anyway, I know that we could talk and talk and talk and talk about changing the world and making it better. But I also know that we all just can only do what we can do, whether that's educating ourselves, whether it's having a voice, whether it's starting a podcast with your partner or or having awesome guests like you who, you know, took this initiative and this passion and turned it into such an amazing platform, which we will definitely feature in our notes. And Fran, would you please tell people where they can visit and follow so they can find out more about One Vote Closer. And you know what? Also, I want to add on to that. Also tell us who needs to go to One Vote Closer. You know, so many of us hear all these different websites and we think it doesn't apply to us, right? So who needs to go to One Vote Closer? Besides, we know everyone. But you know what? If you're that person who's trying to decide on what the issues are and you want a central location, you need to go to one OneVoteCloser.org. Right. Who else? needs to show up and read this website? I asked my daughters that because I was on with the school. We were asked by USC Law School. We have another webinar with them tomorrow and we had one on Monday. But I was, you know, because then I was talking to UT Austin and and I was thinking, you know, this could be a good thing for kids in school because literally we made it the simplest definitions. It's in the mission statement that, you know, that kids... Kids could read. And and then I asked, you know, one of my daughters, which she thought, you know, could this be good? She said, you know, some of the topics might be, I, I think it's my, that we, we have a couple of pictures on the Instagram that are, you know, a little like, you know, a girl that's a drug addict. And then later when I looked harder at it, I'm like, that's a pose. <laughs> that's, that's, that's not real. Her hair is, looks too good to be, you know, shooting on a curb. But anyway, <laughs> no, I mean, it just, it didn't make sense. So, yeah. but, but who's it for? I think it's, it's education for all. Honestly, I think 
definitely for the voter, definitely for somebody who, you know, is just like I, I what my latest thing is, you know, take more than hate to the polls. Yes. You know, absolutely. If, if, if you think, oh, okay, what do y'all vote? Who am I going to, just for fun, enlighten yourself and think, mm-hmm. you know, okay, well, that person's this or this, you know, who who's really helping with the opioid crisis, you know, or who really says they're going to help with the, you know, or what's really happened in my life around my brother that's been addicted? What kind of, you know, resources have been available or how much is rent or, you know, did my water go up or I, I don't yeah. know, just people start to, pers- if they personalize politics, I think mm-hmm. they immediately by default become more interested yeah. and more informed because they start to realize how much it affects them. I mean, yes. I, I have a 14 year old and a 17 year old, which I still can't believe Liliana's 17. Oh my gosh. Anyway, I know, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, so crazy happens so fast, but they watch both the presidential and the vice presidential debate. I didn't do that. Right. I mean, I, my family was not like yours, Fran. It was, we were not, you know, I wasn't like the minute I turned 18, like ready to register to vote. And like, it was just not, mm-hmm. it was never discouraged, but it was certainly never like encouraged in terms of political discussions. And maybe that's just growing up in the deep South where it's kind of like as a kid, you know, you, you just sit and you're quiet and you don't really have an opinion. You just believe what your family believes and, you know, you move on. But the fact that James walked in the day of the vice presidential debate and he goes, oh, mom, why didn't you tell me tonight's the vice presidential debate? And I was like, um, okay, first of all, I have to say, I love that you care so much Mm -hmm. that you're asking me. But secondly, you're 17 years old. And if it's something you're interested in, figure it out yourself. (laughs) But that is how you teach a man to fish. (laughs) Exactly. That's exactly right. Thank you, James. But, you know, and I think the reason they're so interested is because personal because they're affected by it. They don't get to go to school and see their friends. My daughter made club soccer team and there's no season this year. There, you know, I could go down the list of all the the little things, like you said, you know, the light bulb, the switch, the whatever. It's it's what is how they're affected in their own very personal lives. And so I think what you were saying earlier and, and to that point is when it's real to you, that's when you start to make it real and get more informed and get more involved. And, you know, that's, I would never say anything remotely near the idea that COVID has been positive whatsoever. But I think there's a positive result of that mm-hmm. in that people, you know, like we've discussed in our other podcasts about Black Lives Matter and, and the events that happen are tragic. But COVID, everybody was tuned in. COVID, my kids lost a lot of their stuff. Now they're tuned into politics. We're all more tuned into the escalation of the Black Lives Matter movement. We all saw George Floyd happen because we were home. We were on TV. So I think that this has been the worst year ever in my lifetime and probably all of our lifetimes combined. 2020 is 2020 making is, an entrance. It is not. We're starting a new decade and I'm starting <laughs> off strong. Don't you remember when 2000 was coming? We were all worried about Y2K. Yeah. And like now I'm kind of like going, God, and just think we thought Y2K was going to be bad. But anyway, so I think what you're doing is fabulous. Yes. And I, like Thank I said, you. when I saw when yes. I saw it and I just, kind of reached out and connected and kind of brings me to the second piece of this conversation. And Francis, you and I talked about it, you know, 
our whole our whole platform is to obviously talk about hot topics and important issues, but also just hearing people's stories and their journeys and specific to our, the title of our show, when you felt like your life was out of place or misplaced and and how you sort of got through that. And now that you're on the other side of it, have you also embraced the idea that you know how even those bad times were necessary and has how has that influenced who you are today and these new ventures that you're you're doing and your passions about politics and education and economics and everything. So I kind of, I think Donzel and I both want to hear about your journey, <laughs> whatever and however much you want to share or not. You know, I'm 57 years old. How much time do you have? Because <laughs> <laughs> I've been misplaced a lot, girl. <laughs> I mean, you know, you're, we had mentioned a couple of things earlier when we were just, you know, talking mm-hmm. about our upcoming conversation. So, you know. No, what, no, yeah. I know. I yeah. know. So, you know, basically, I, I'll i just do a little hop, skip, and a jump. I... I moved out here from Houston, Austin. I was born in El Paso. I dreamed I was going to win a Grammy by the time I was 30. And that was after producing this Grammy winning record. <laughs> so uh, and right I was there. 23 at the time. Yeah. yeah. So at 25, I was almost there, you know, and then came the knock at the door, the company I was working at and they said, you know what, we're splitting the company and we need you to come this way. And that was to work with George Michael. He was the other part of the company. And that would have been to go into management instead of overseeing the the distributive label that I was seeing on the other side. And so I, I went into management, had this great 24-7 career with George Michael and traveled. And then we worked with other artists, Jody Watley, Karen White, Day. Again, traveled with them and and just just this great time to take a you know a girl from Texas in music from her twenties into her thirties, and then somehow or another we thought it was time to get pregnant, and that took ten years, and that was a drag. And during that time, I decided to let alcoholism kick in full gear. I shouldn't say full gear. I was kind of garden variety, one of those nighttime drinkers and, you know, got up and was productive and successful in the day. And so I got sober 16 years ago. And in the interim of all of that, I was working on my teaching credential and working in the studio with songwriters. And that was all great. But at this time, I'm not making an income. So personally, I'm starting to fall apart because Stephen gets to make all the money. And I was raised, no man will ever take care of you in that you work your ass off, you make your own money and you don't rely on someone else. And so that was the beginning of me beating myself up for real. Other than the person I always was, am I good enough? Am I good enough? And the kids came as they came 10 years. Well, they're six years apart. And I just had this really difficult transition from my life to being a mom and Steve's wife. Yeah. And that was, and, and you notice if I'm ever down on Steven, I call him Steve. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I had to take that, that ride for a really long time. And Ginger, that's when you and I would have met. And yeah. 
Stephen and I are very tight. We're the best of, you know, we really are. It's not, it sounds hokey, but we really are those, those two people that we hang, you know. You guys laughed a lot together. That's one thing I always remember because, you know, I would bump into you at events or whatever. It was always like, I always felt like we would have a real conversation. It wasn't just like, oh, hey, hey, Francis, how are you? Blah, 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 moving on. Like we would always kind of, you know, shoot the shit, as I say. Mm -hmm. But I always remember and seeing you guys, like you always looked like good friends and you always looked like you were laughing and really, really enjoying each other. And as you and I both know, there's a lot of that in this business that doesn't exist with, you know, spouses, whether they're men or women. But anyway, yeah. Well, part of keeping that real, Ginger, I I learned when I was working with George and we had, because of who I was in his life, and then, you know, that was a time when one still hid who they were if they were gay. And that was a drag and it was hard for him and for Anselmo, who was the love of his life. And, you know, so we were all together in that. But one thing I learned you know, traveling and the backstage and the this is I knew that all the work people out there, they weren't his friend, right. you know, they were, they were working for him. And so it was like, we all were there for the rock stars, but we were all the ones behind the scenes. Steve may be berm or, you know, gangsta Steve, or he may know some of the, you know, he may have a more intimate, you know, distance from the rock stars. But one of the things that I think you may have felt is that we we weren't the hangers on. No. You know, we and like Jimmy, you know, you worked with Jimmy. Hello. It it, like (laughs) in his it practically slept with him and Vicky. But for real, we could have been at that house every night. And we, you know, I was like, no, that we, we are going to be a family. Yeah. And it's not that they're not great people. And it's not like we can't all party with them and have a great time. They literally, when you hear these celebrities say, I have a life too, I have a, and it's real. They do. They have families. They have, you know, they got their own stuff going on. They they don't really need you. (laughs) Yeah. No, but you know, it's it's funny. And I I touched on that in the very beginning when I was, you know, sort of talking about you and introducing you is and talking about Steve. And I think, you know, I was one of the, I was one of the outside of, you know, a few of the other executives at, you know, Brenda and some of the other people at Interscope. Not that Mm -hmm. many people that worked in, you know, the marketing department and other departments were even married, let alone had children. And so, and because I had worked so closely with Jimmy, even though at that time I wasn't at an executive level, my peers in the company were because they were all Jimmy's people. So I got to know Berman really well, really early on. And then segueing into working with him and then getting married and started a family. There was a lot of compassion, I think, between the two of us because we both and we both knew the demands of working with Jimmy. Mm-hmm. We worked 24-7 and had a very different lifestyle than what we had and you guys had. And the struggle of you know, knowing that like, you know, I could just tell like the pain of like, you don't really want to be there and like kind of feeling like you have to be there for work and just that internal struggle of like wanting to be home and being with your family. And like I said, I'm sure from your side of it, there were times when he didn't honor 
the family as much as he should have. But I will say from my side of it, there was not a moment that I never saw him always trying to get home, get to you guys, get to the, you know, the Christmas pageant or the performance at school or the whatever. But he is definitely the exception and the rule when it comes to that sort of dynamic in that business. And you and I have both lived that. So we know, but strong foundation you guys have. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I agree. I want to tell a funny story about Stephen wanting to get home. And oh, that's what I was going to say is that when I worked with George, I really got 24-7 later when Steve worked with Jimmy. Yeah. And Stephen actually, the joke was that Stephen married Jimmy or Jimmy (laughs) married Stephen four months before Stephen actually married me. (laughs) So they were married first. He started at Interscope before, uh, right before we got married. But the funny story is Stephen, it's Valentine's Day and the girls are both young. And I I say to Stephen, you know, and uh, he and I to this day, that's my favorite holiday. And so we have a tradition, you know, Mm -hmm. we do something on Valentine's night, whatever it is, if we're sitting at home, but we're together. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, we, the girls and I were all dressed. Steven's going to come home and we're going to actually go out to dinner and this whole thing. And, and Steven's at the bottom of the hill and he's on the phone with Jimmy and Bono. <laughs> and I don't know if we couldn't text. I don't know what it was because uh, yeah, no, the girls were little. This so is like the Sky Tell two-way days maybe even or before that. Yeah. So yeah, you can. Uh, yeah. <laughs> So whatever it is, maybe Stephen had two phones, whatever it was. So then they were waiting to get Edge on the phone. And Stephen calls me and whatever happened, I can't remember exactly how I ended up being conferenced in. Stephen says, um, and he obviously doesn't know he conferenced me in. And he goes, he goes, I'm at the bottom of the hill. He goes, I'm coming up. I'm at the bottom of the hill. I'm talking to Jimmy and Bono and we're waiting for the edge to get on. And I don't even know what the hell I said, but it was some kind of cussing something about not giving to, you know what, about Bono and Edge and good for them. And you let them know you got to get home because your two daughters and they are laughing. And they're all on the phone. Oh my God. I mean, the good news is Bono probably thought it was hilarious, but they did. I know they did because they have wives and they were, you know, like they better get their asses home. I was like, say, like Ali Bono's wife was probably on the other line going, Where are you? (laughs) You know, yeah, but it's true. I mean, that's really a funny story. I didn't know. I don't think I ever knew that. Yeah, no, that was just, well, because that was just one night. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm sure there's like, so many of those. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, just to, you know, so girls grow up and here I am and Lucy had a, you know, a tough, she was a tough teenager, you know, that she had a lot of anxiety and she was one of the first generation to have a phone. And mm-hmm. they said, if you are a parent raising a 12 to 17 year old at that time, she's about to be 23. You're the first, you're the first to be raising kids with that have Facebook, Snapchat. Oh, yeah. yeah, Snapchat. At the time, there wasn't really, there wasn't FaceTime yet. It was where you were on your computer together, uh-huh. whatever. And so she was tough. Like I said, I got sober when she was six. And it just, you know, then ride the wave with Liliana. Meanwhile, I'm dabbling in listening to songwriters and helping a little bit and now the girls get older and I got to go into actually see something through to the studio. This Just this past January, we finished. 
was over the course of a year. It's a young woman named Gabby Hill. And Mm -hmm. she was just getting ready to start putting herself out there in the universe and COVID hit. And, but she's, and so she's not launching herself right now. And it was more of a, of a process of me helping her with the, on the music side. And then, you know, kids got to know how to do their own socials. I'm terrible on socials. Maddie, Maddie and Greta, the other, the intern that is helping us with the graphic design, they do the socials. Like I screw it up. Let me tell you, I'm answering somebody that helped us with the Snoop Dogg. Stephen did, but Snoop ended up, you know, we're part of that campaign. It's this whole thing. And so I'm thinking I'm answering a friend on my social and what I'm, I'm on Snoop's social. <laughs> and, I go, and I go, we're world famous. <laughs> like, look at us, awesome. you know, and, and all caps and, you know, the fireworks. And my assistant goes, she texts me, Fran, do you know you just answered us? <laughs> That's hysterical. Like, oh That's God. great. <laughs> and you can't take yeah. it back, right? When you're in somebody else's, like you can't delete I, the post, right? <laughs> no, I don't know. Somehow she figured out how to do it. Oh, she did so it. She has access into she has access into all my stuff. Okay. Yeah. I will screw it up. But at right now, at this point, because I'm, you know, I dabble in social media. What do I, you know? Got a social media in my personal life, you know? Yeah. But so wait, she's from Virginia, um, right? She's from Virginia, but okay. she, yeah, she, she's here. She's, but she's, oh, but she's, because uh, Donzel's from Virginia too. That's why I was, oh my yes, gosh. From Richmond, Virginia. <laughs> what part is she from? Where is Maddie? Well, she's from, she, they have a farm. Her parents' area code is 540. Is that you? No. No, I'm 804. 540 is, I'm not sure. I know the 540 is not not Richmond. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's so funny. I I just texted her. That might be the Tidewater area. You know, Francis. Go ahead, sorry. Yeah, no, so I just, the thing happened with the election and I started this thing and it was slow and go for me. Like I say, why Maddie did so much of the legwork and three years later, here we are and I'll launch with the end poverty. There's a couple of issues on there that I'm going to really focus on because so many people want to keep the site alive. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, that's yeah. why I was asking earlier, like love that you're going to kind of segue it into some of the issues that are the most important for you and, and sort of just building it out into something even bigger and better. I was just kind of laughing a second ago, but I was also thinking about when you said something about, you know, it's hard to not be, you know, having your own money and your own income. And for my journey over the last few years, and and I'm not going to go into all the details because this is about you, not me. But no, no, well, I'd never shut up. John Zales looked at me like, please don't, girl. No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? I will say one of the hardest things for me to go from being this executive running marketing for the company that owned American Idol and managing winners of American Idol. I mean, trust me, it sounds way more glamorous than it really is. It's a lot of hard work. And, and as you know, Steve works harder than most people that you can imagine. Mm-hmm. But it's a cool job. You know, I'm not going to lie. It was it was cool. And so then all of a sudden, when you're not only is it not making money, but just sort of, for me, figuring out, okay, I just spent 22 years in an industry. I can't get the job that I want. I, You know, the jobs that I wanted, I couldn't get. The jobs that wanted me, I didn't want. 
And, Mm -hmm. you know, this sort of trying to do the independent thing, which is taking all that experience and basically working for free when you're working with developing artists. Um, Mm -hmm. But all of a sudden, when I started this and the writing and the acting and all these creative projects and then getting ready to launch this podcast, particularly and kind of putting all the pieces together, because I I used to get so nuts with myself thinking I spent 22 years and I'm like, I'm okay that I'm not doing it anymore. I'm okay that I'm not even making any money right now. But like the idea of the sacrifices that I made in terms of not being with my family all the time that I spent doing the things that you and I both know in terms of the commitment and the level of work that's required to work at a place like Interscope, like what was all that for? And so now that I have found a way to utilize all that experience and my relationships in a new way that's around my own passions and this sort of new adventure in my life, like what you were saying about in the studio and you kind of get to reach back into all those things that you loved and now kind of do it on your own time in your own way. There's so much reward. Like there's such a big reward in that, that I never even realized, but I know that that can really kind of play a lot of mind tricks on you. And just in terms of like your own self-worth, it did for me anyway. But, you know, once I kind of figured it out, I was like, oh my God, I actually get to use it on the one thing that's the most important to me. And that's my own sort of like self-value, self-happiness, my own sort of feeling of success professionally. I mean, I love being a mom and my children and my family. It's not that, but we all need to feel that we're doing something that makes us feel valued to ourselves. So I hope that that's, yeah. what, I hope that's what you found and in, in all of these new things that you're doing, because that's been the most rewarding aspect for me. I mean, I, when I say that I'm the happiest I've been in, years and years and years and years of my life is because I get to to do what I love. I get to wake up every day and whatever it is that I'm doing, I love it. And I feel really good about it. And I feel good about myself. And that was hard over the last few years. I'm definitely enjoying, I'm thinking this found me. And then That's like Gonzel said earlier, thinking about the kids while I've, I, I've you know been a part of LA Family Housing for 20 years in, you know, putting on events and personal events, not Mm -hmm. just the fun, not help, you know, donating and all that. It really somehow zeroing in and it just being a dagger in my heart that I had to, you know, for these children and I can just see, I, I don't know, it's such a visual to me. What, needs to be done or what can I do? Yeah. You know, that clarity. What me, yeah. But yeah, and I'd love to hear actually for fun, if I may, Donzel, what do you, mm. what do you think uh, when somebody says like, even, you know, where Ginger and I are coming from this, like she was working and she had the issues around not being around as much. And then now she gets to love it. And then for me, oh my God, how the people would say, you know, you'd go, I'm a mom or, or it was always just a mom. Oh, or, I know. <laughs> and, and, but you know what? It's how I felt. I really felt like, what yeah. the, this baloney. So <laughs> what, what do you, I mean, you went into these schools, you, you mm-hmm. saw those dynamics. Yeah. If I may, if I, I this isn't my pot, and now it's my no, turn. Oh, yeah, and it, now it, I'm it, the my this is yes, all about, this no. is all about Francis. <laughs> this, this is your This is Francis takes over mid. Pl- uh. <laughs> misplaced the podcast. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I checked what, it. <laughs> what do I think about 
just parents and, and the work profession and raising kids. And what I've seen as an educator's point of view, is that what you mean? Yeah, just what, what oh. do you see from your, like the moms that are working and the moms that are not working? Mm. And what is that like? You know, I think for me, it is, I have a, a unique perspective coming from Virginia where I was influenced and positively influenced by both sets of that working mom. I was influenced by the working mom who had the brick and mortar profession. And I was influenced by the working mom who was the working mom at home. And I always saw both as equitable and essential because I had a working mom. And my mom was the mom who worked two jobs. Fortunately, at that time, there were still a lot of resources for kids in our community. So that's how I got into the arts and did a lot of dance and acting as a kid. And now looking back growing up, I never felt like I got slighted out of a childhood because I was able to be in places that enriched me. And so mom's at work and I'm at drama practice. And then we both meet at home, you know, at six or seven o'clock at night and have a great time together. So Uh that I don't look back at that and say, wow, I got cut out of an experience. I felt like I had a very full childhood. And then as I started working with youth and started meeting them stay-at-home moms, and that was when I started having conversations with them and realizing that it is a job. There's a thing as a non-working mom. (laughs) When seeing, you know, schedules and calendars and this kid's this place and this kid's that place and organizing this pickup here and this kid getting that pickup from there and getting lunch to this kid and picking this kid up from school and then helping this kid with their homework and like, The reality of what those women did in the stay-at-home sector, to me, was very clear that it was just as important as that mom inside business. And what I always notice and what I still notice is it doesn't matter if the parent, mom or dad, are stay-at-home or not. What matters is, are they tuned in and checked in? Are they present? Are they present? And I've seen both. I've seen not present from either side. And that's where the difference is. But for the parent who's checked in and present, it doesn't make a difference because the presence is there. And I think that that's what we have to start looking at with all of our different connections and relationships in life is not who's just there. I guess it kind of almost goes back to what you were saying about, you know, like the, the... the friends who are not friends. They're just not present. They're there for the party aspect. They're not there for the presence of the of life, of fullness of life. And whether it be those parents who are traveling and touring and working or the parents who are staying at home or the parents who work up the road at the local grocery store, it doesn't matter. What matters is, are they present? Because I still have the same conversations with those parents. I still have the same you know, engagement from those parents and getting their kids involved. It just may look a different way. That parent who I talk to remotely through email all the time, I may not see them as much, but I know that in our conversations through the email, and then when I see the the change of the student, that we're still a team. And that parent who is able to come and pick their kid up, and I talk to them face-to-face, there's those parents that we have that connection and that engagement. And then there's those parents who I talk to face-to-face who are just checked out, sunglasses on, phone in hand, waving at the kid to run all the way across the field to them. I don't think the employment is what is the question. I think the presence is. 
That's how we met I, because I was working obviously all the time. And so Jeff and I each year would figure out some really kind of fun way to do a video music, music video or some sort of film and music project at their elementary school. And so when Donzel started teaching there, I worked with him and we did a couple of projects with the kids. So it was my way of kind of doing something that felt, you know, valuable and involved, but not being able to be the mom that was there for pickup every single day or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. And I have to say to um, your other point about the scheduling and the whatever, as busy as I was at Interscope, I swear when I stopped working and I just started taking over doing all of the family, all of the everything I have never been busier in my life than I've been the last few years. Because you're a mom like, and you're I available. Mean, I was like, <laughs> I did. I mean, I never looked at other moms who didn't have a job as like not working. I knew yeah. it was hard and I knew that there was a lot to do. But having lived it, I have a yeah. whole other level of respect for the moms that choose that for their job to just be physically there, mm-hmm. you know, at home with the kids and running the family. That is a huge job. Mm-hmm. I love it because I didn't get to do it for a long time. But yeah, what you said, there's no such thing as a non-working mom. Cause if you're a mom, you work in. Yeah. I, I like how you, you know, the performance of life and present and no such thing as a non-working mom. And I got to tell you though, Ginger, you're going to go with me on this one. The one we bow down to is the single working mom. Yes. Oh my, I can't even. I can't. I, I mean. Look, I've been telling it. Ginger, I uh, can't handle being a parent to my cat. And I'm a single, <laughs> I'm a single gay man. And I'm falling apart with a cat. And I text uh, her like every what? other week. I'm like, I don't want a child. And they are. And, and so every other week, I'm like, I'm not having a child. If this this is a cat and I can't, I'm falling apart, I'm not doing this. How did you do this with kids and a husband and a job? Like, what is going on? Like, I get this like text chain. I mean, I'll look down at my phone, like, and I'll be like six texts from Donzel. And he's like, oh my God, he did it again. He got into this another $500 vet bill. And I'm like going, I don't know. I'm just like laughing so hard. Like, I'm like, I walk out dude. the door right when I'm about to walk out the door. I'm already late. And then he throws up. I'm like, what is this? Now I got to clean up this throw up. I'm even more late. I know. Okay. And then you know what's going to happen? Little kitty cat's going to get sick. Uh Or little kitty cat, May, you can't find him. Where's kitty cat? Mm -hmm. And you're going to be sick to your stomach. Your heart's going to be broken. And that's the problem with these kids and these pets. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I know. Was there anything else you guys wanted to cover? I mean, that's quite a lot and quite awesome. I didn't want to like, I didn't want to overlook anything that especially Frances may have wanted to cover with respect to everything you've got going on. I just wanted to add that things that are really important to me, and I I think it's what, what speaks to my next endeavor is social justice. And it's uh, one of the things that Stephen and I did at Crossroads. We helped build the Equity and Justice Institute. And, you know, it's supposed to be, as it grows, it's a year old. And as it grows, it's supposed to be a community-based institute. So we'll, we'll see where that goes. And I have these grand, grand things I want to do. Like, I was just now trying not to say, we'll never have equal education for all. 
So instead, I was going to say, when will we <laughs> have yeah. equal right. access? And, the, you know, the same kind of education and, and you know, Donzel, the arts. And, I, of course, I'm right there with you. Yeah, just really... That's that's what I want to say. That's that's ending up who I am at at this place in my life. And sometimes I I wish I was more selfish. And Mm. I just, it's just not who I am. I think that's what makes you amazing. You know, I think the back to the the thing about education is, you know, we can have really really big goals, but you know, we can also look at maybe the idea of creating full out full on. Equal education seems too pie in the sky, but what can we do from here to then to make education somewhat more equitable? You know what I mean? Like we, you know, and and Donzel and I have these conversations too about like the small steps and the big steps, but, you know, I do think that as everyone who has any sort of voice in our communities and society, we have to educate ourselves and we do have to find what are the things that we can do now that will make a difference now and like tomorrow as we start to tackle those bigger things, I mean, we have to sort of create a trajectory for ourselves. I mean, none of these things happen overnight. I mean, there's so much change that needs to happen. And I think that we also have to just be honest with ourselves about what, you know, what's really possible in the short term, but that shouldn't stop us from trying to get to that long-term goal. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. We can't let course, that, we yeah. can't let this sort of like overwhelming idea of what it is stop us stop from us. doing whatever we can to get there. So <clears throat> yeah. I appreciate you so much. Thank um, you so much. Yeah, this was I'm a beautiful so glad conversation. glad to have you on here. Um, oh my gosh. And give my love to Berman. <laughs> we'll, have to ha- we'll have to have you back and have him on for a cameo or something. <laughs> no, you, you guys. Oh my goodness. You know what? Jimmy said when Stephen, when Jimmy was leaving, he looked at him and he goes, Stephen, it's time for you to write the book. And so <laughs> I really he, want to sign the NDA? to write the book. Huh? <laughs> did he sign the NDA? I'm just kidding. <laughs> no. There's no she NDA. No. <laughs> well, then he should sure, 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 sure write the book. <laughs> yeah. Tell no, him I'll write, the, I'll write the foreword. <laughs> well, and, and Ginger, you know, he always wanted to be an eighth grade teacher. Really? That was his dream. Yeah. I have no idea. To be an eighth grade teacher. So I said to him, set it up, Steve. Set the book up like you know, the campaigns. Go artist by artist. Yeah. And how you did the how you did the campaigns and show people what marketing looks like or how it evolved or, you know, make it make it a project. Yeah. And not just a it. book. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Oh my gosh. Well, you guys are going to have to come over. That's all there is to it. We would love that. We would love that. I know now we just get to be friends. I don't have to worry about the whole boss weirdness, right? We just get to be friends. Oh gosh. You don't have to worry about that. I don't think Stephen even thinks, I don't even know. Yeah, boss, like no. Well, you know what I mean? There's always like that dynamic, but. I'm in my new, yeah. I'm in the new life. That's my past life. So the new life gets to just uh, hang out and have fun. That's right. And do podcasts together. That's right. Good for you. Thank, <laughs> Thank you, you so for much, having Francis. me. We Thank love you. you. We'll talk to you soon. Yes, bye-bye. Okay, I love you too. Nice to meet you, Dunzel. Nice Thank you. Too. Take bye. care. Okay, bye-bye. How great was she? I don't think she was great. I think she was amazing. We got to yeah. take that above great. I know, that was a I know. wonderful conversation. Very informative. And I love, I think all of us, we just need to do what we can to make the world a more equitable place and a better place. And I think it, we all have something within our power to do something 
to make that happen. So it's great to hear what she's doing, what Frances is doing to make this a better and more equitable place. Yeah, I found it interesting, you know, when she said something about, obviously, you know, as a family, they have had a lot of success. But let's be clear, her husband started in the mailroom. Like he has worked I, for yes. every, yeah, we, I, she mentioned it, but I wanted I wanted to sort of reiterate that. I mean, yeah. this was not something that was handed to either one of them. Um, yeah. And they and also, both. I love you brought that up too, because that struck a chord with me as well, because I thought it was very interesting that, you know, he started in the mailroom. And that they both supported each other's careers and their rise. Yeah. And it wasn't, you know, so many times I feel in my age group of daters, the millennials, you, is we you are millennials. Looking, yeah. I feel like we're <laughs> looking for everyone to have the entire package now. Right. And there's no sense of partnership and helping each other grow. Yeah. And potential, and right? Potential. There's no potential. There's, yeah. It's yeah. everybody, it's like this sort of like immediate gratification, yes. right? Even in relationships. Yes. Yeah. And, and so, and I love the fact that a, you know, you can't look at them and be like, oh yeah, well, what do they know? Like they didn't work for, it. I mean, you know, she grew up in Texas, you know, mm-hmm. they're both educated and they both worked really, really hard. And yes, there was a time where she was a working mom, meaning working at home, running the family, running the schedule. Cause I can tell you, Berman had his own crazy schedule at Interscope and they work together, right? To build that family into what it is. And, you know, for a moment she was apologetic and I, listen, people don't have to apologize for being successful. They don't have to apologize for having money. They don't have to apologize for those things because people like her are taking those relationships that she and Steve have built. They're taking the success story that they have and they're trying to do something with it to make this world a better place, specifically for children, you know, looking into education and just helping, you know, the underprivileged communities. It's just, I don't know. I just, I'm sorry. I just, I find it so inspiring, you know, because, and I say that from working in that business, I met a lot of the spouses. I met a lot of the wives that would come to the Grammy party or come to the, you know, when you two had their record release party, you know, the ones that always showed up and many of them were nice and many of them were lovely. But the substance that Francis has, and I think I said something about that too, we would always talk. Like I would see a lot of people that I knew and say, hello, and oh, you remember so-and-so. Like, oh, hey, how are you? You know, cheers, have a drink, whatever. But Francis and I would always like get real with each other. And I always remember that about her. So I just think she's awesome. And I'm kind of excited to see what, you know, she does next. Yeah, I'm excited to continue to follow the website. I love that she's put something out there for all of us to be informed it is. There's a lot of information yeah. out there and it's daunting. Yeah, and it's really find, smart because yeah. it's simple and concise yeah, and, and thorough yeah. at the same time, but and without being overwhelming. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's important. So just in case you guys weren't listening before, go to her site, onevoteclosser.org. Get informed and vote, people. Get informed and vote, y'all. You gotta vote. All mm-hmm. right. Big shout out to Francis. I'm going to put my claps on. And of course, we love you, Berman. (laughs) (laughs) Over and out. Bye, Donzel. Bye. (laughs) Hey, guys. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you like what you hear, or even if you don't, but you want to hear more, please subscribe. Come back. And if there's something in life that's bothering you and it's got you feeling misplaced and you want to talk about it, then reach out to us because we definitely want to hear Yeah, get in touch. Our website is misplacedlife.com. 
check us out. Or you can just slide into our DMs. Did you just say slide into our DMs? Yeah, that's what you do on Instagram when you get to Elsa. Oh my God, you're such a millennial. Yes, Anyway, yes. Okay, people. Slide into our DMs at Insta. Misplaced.life. Nerd. Boomer. <laughs> Freak. Yeah, well, depends on the night. 